recent days as well, and we thank the Lord for that. Miss uh, Florence came through her surgery fine uh, last week, and they got a good report. I think it was on Monday that uh, the doctor said they got all the cancer, so we thank the Lord for that. She does have uh, some other issues that are happening with regards to her blood, and so if you will be in prayer for her on that. But uh, isn't it good to see God's hand at work? Uh, We certainly go through trials. There are times that the Bible says we're cast down but not destroyed. Uh, And uh, what a wonderful joy it is to know that God still answers prayer. And the day that we live... Uh, we can still come to Him and cast our care upon Him, uh, for He cares for us. And the Bible teaches us uh, that um, His love is, is inexhaustible. Uh, His care and watch care over us is certainly uh, done by a loving God. And um, we can take heart in that. In the days that we live, uh, especially as we look around and we see so many problems in the world, uh, it gives us hope to know that God's still in control. You know, God God doesn't sit in heaven and bite His nails. You ever notice that? He, he never has to worry or fret. There's times He's disappointed in man's choices. But God God is not taken by surprise. Uh, he knows uh, what's going to come. He knows the outcome. And uh, He gives man a free will. We certainly understand that and to Justify his foreknowledge with man's free will is not something that's difficult to do. Uh, he lives outside of time, so he knows what man is going to do. In fact, the Bible says that when it came to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind, that he was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And God already knew the redemption's plan was going to need to be enacted. And uh, it doesn't mean that that's what he desired, nor does it mean that that's what he willed to happen. But he certainly knew that it was going to happen. And I'm thankful that we have a God who knows exactly what's going to take place. He's given us some indication of that. We've been studying the book of Revelation, and it's good to know what's going to come and how God's going to be faithful to us. And one thing that we can always take hope in is God's faithfulness. He's always faithful to do what He says He's going to do. We were in the book of Lamentations this morning for Sunday school, and so the message this morning actually is going to come from Lamentations chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there this morning. Lamentations chapter number 3. And uh, I'm going to deal uh, this morning on a topic I don't normally address very often, but uh, how our attitude should be. Uh, I think that the attitude of a Christian is a very, very important part of our testimony. And what our attitude should be when things don't go the way that we think they ought to go. Uh, we quickly, uh, we are so easy, if we're not careful, in our flesh to react to things. And the truth is, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, there are some things that as a Christian ought to control our attitude. And uh, we're going to look at some things from uh, Lamentations chapter 3, uh, one of the great uh, chapters, I think, of this particular book. As uh, we spent a little bit of time in Sunday school dealing with the five, there are five different poems here, basically, that Jeremiah writes. Each one is contained in each of the chapters. And uh, you find in uh, chapters 1 and 2, or the first two poems, and then in chapters 4 and 5, the last two poems, that there is a lot of remorse, a lot of sorrow, a lot of brokenheartedness, as Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, weeps over the judgment of God and the uh, really not so much sorrowing over God's judgment as he is sorrowing over the rejection of Judah to listen to 40 years of God's warning them uh, and then the fact that God is just, he is right in judging them. And, uh, but his heart is broken. Uh, and uh, we get to chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read a number, quite a few verses so that we can have the context of where we're at on this. Uh, this is taking time um, uh, during the time of the split kingdom of, uh, of Israel. There are ten tribes that make up the northern kingdom, or the, uh, the kingdom what is referred to as Israel, and two tribes that make up the southern kingdom, known as Judah, and they have Jerusalem as their capital. And uh, Judah reaches the end of God's long-suffering. Aren't we glad God's long-suffering today? Uh, we saw a little bit of that in Sunday school I'm thankful God is long-suffering, but God is also true and He's also just to His character. And there are times that after God has given time for men to repent and to come back and turn back to Him, God finally brings judgment upon them. And this is where Jude is at. He's given them 40 years. 
to turn to him. He's given Jeremiah message after message after message, and the nation of uh, Judah has rejected God's word. Uh, by the way, we're living in days very similar to this today. We're living in days where most of the world is rejecting what God's word has to say. And we're coming up with a religion that is based on man's philosophy and a social religion and not based on God's Word. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a very similar situation. And can I tell you this, that if God does bring judgment, He's always right in doing so. There's never a time that God is unfair or unjust in His judgment. Men have always certainly deserved what He has sent to them. And as we get to Lamentation 3... Uh, Jeremiah writes this. He says, I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me as he turned, he turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out, and He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, He shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone that made that hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. <clears throat> he hath turned aside <clears throat> my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. And I was, der- uh, and I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with, the bit- with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished <coughs> from the Lord. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message. And Lord, speak to our hearts. I pray that you would help us to learn the truth of this passage. Or so many people that turn the wrong way, their attitudes certainly are not biblical attitudes to have. And so, Father, I pray that through the teaching and the preaching of Your Word today, You will help us to understand this, to hold to it, to take heed to it, and may we learn what we're supposed to do in these, in these times to have the right attitude towards uh, the things that are going on. We pray that You would uh, strengthen us. May Your Holy Spirit work in hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in less than, less than good circumstances, there is generally two courses of action. There are generally two types of attitudes. I've been a, a, a Christian long enough to see in, in my own life and in the lives of uh, folks in our churches and those that I've watched growing up. When people have gotten to a point of despair, and I want you to understand that According to these these lamentation poems that that uh, Jeremiah writes, the condition of Judah is a condition that the people are looking at and saying it is hopeless. There's <coughs> there's no uh, resolving this. They feel that they are broken uh, and they are in utter despair of even life itself. They've been uh, sieged by uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And for nearly two years were cut off. And uh, the, the nation went through starvation and some of the most depraved things that you would never even uh, consider a human could do, they were doing during these times just to try to survive. Jeremiah weeps along with his people. His heart is broken and they are, they are in, in distress and they're in turmoil. God brings them into 70 years of captivity because they had refused and they had rejected 70 Sabbath years. And I will say this, that there is a point in every person's life when we hit sorrow that we feel is lower than we've ever been. 
There is a time in every person's life where we feel like there's no way out of this. There's a hopelessness that is brought to mind and brought to heart. And it is during those times that we oftentimes must make a choice or a decision. And that is, am I going to be angry and upset and bitter at God? I don't know how many times I've been to funerals. And I've watched as the family would be angry at God. And oftentimes they would say, Pastor, we prayed for God to heal them and they didn't, and He chose not to do it. The problem is we oftentimes have the wrong attitude in times of trial. When life doesn't go the way we expect it to, we have two, two courses of action. One of them is found oftentimes in people who get angry and upset and resentful and even bitter at God. And I don't know how many times I've watched people who were at one time faithful Christians that loved the Lord, that seemed to be involved in the church and seemed to have their time with the Lord and walking with Him daily. And when you talk to them, they were always talking about what God had done in their life. And it's amazing to me how many times when absolute sorrow comes into their life, and I'm not talking about just times where we're sad, or disappointed, but times when we are brought to despair, times when it seems like there is no hope, and they have turned and they have gotten bitter and angry at God, and they've rejected and said, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow after Him anymore." If that's the way God's going to be about it, can I tell you this? There are two things we need to always keep in mind, and that is that God is always good and God is always right. There's never a time that those two things are not true. And when God oftentimes brings us through valleys, there are two reasons often why He does so. One is either to test us and to improve our faith and to strengthen us. The other sometimes is because we are out of His will and He's trying to bring us back into His will. And we need to oftentimes ponder and wonder which it is so that we can get these things right. The other response that people have during times like this is they realize the hopelessness of the situation. And they realize that if they are going to survive this, if they're going to make it through, then they must run to the Savior. They must cling to Him as their only hope and their only strength. There, there is a desperation that is found in both cases. But what determines the attitude oftentimes is what we are focused on. A number of years ago, my brother who... Uh, is eleven year, nine years younger than I am, and um, is somewhat of a dry humor kind of person. Anybody got somebody in your family that has dry humor? You know what I'm talking about. He was always trying to tell me some corny joke or do something for me. He he brought me in his office one day, and we were talking about some things. He said, "Hey, I found a video I want you to watch." And uh, I don't remember exactly what the 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 action was that was going on. But he said, they, they, uh, they want you to watch this video, and they want you to count how many times this particular event happened. I don't remember what the event was. But they want you to count and see how many times uh, this happens in the video. And, I say, and he said, uh, most people have a hard time getting the right amount of it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to watch. And so I'm watching the video, and uh, this event happens, and I count it. And another time, and I count it, and I count it. It goes on for 30 seconds or so. And when I get done, I told him the number. And boy, I was certain I had it right. And the truth is, I did. I had the number right. He said, did you notice anything crazy about that video? And I said, no. I said, I, I got the number right, right? He said, I want you to watch it again. This time, don't count. He played it for me again. And while, while I was counting this event, a man that was in a gorilla costume walks out into the video and begins to wave his arms. And then he walks back and goes off camera. And I will tell you this, I did not see it the first time. Because I was so, here's the word, focused. And what oftentimes will dictate what our attitude is on things is where our focus is placed. Some people, when going through this, look at the trying time and their focus is on the trial. Others begin to look at the trying time and their focus is on Christ. What determines whether we're going to make it through and to have the right attitude and to respond appropriately to trials in our lives will always be determined by our focus. Look with me, if you will, and hold your place here in Lamentation 3. We'll be back to it in a few moments. 
But if you will, turn with me to the book of Revelation, and let's go to chapter number 3. Revelation chapter 3. And this is one of the letters, <coughs> excuse me, to the seven churches. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 18, we have the letter to a church that was known in the city of Laodicea. The, the problem with the church at Laodicea was a focus problem. Look what the Bible says here as we get to uh, verse number uh, 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot, nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now notice here their problem of focus. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What they perceived themselves to be, and what they actually were, were completely opposite. Because they had a wrong focus. And God chastens them for this, and God corrects them for this in this letter. And I want you to notice what he says in verse number 18. He says, I counsel thee, and this, so this is the remedy that God is giving to them. He said, listen, your focus is wrong. You think you're this when really you're this. He says, here's the remedy. Here's how you fix it. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, that's an interesting statement here because the Bible talks about the fact that our works, our works are going to be tried. They're going to be tried by fire. Hold your place for a moment. Turn to first. Uh, turn to First um, uh, Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three. We're going to be back to Revelation three. So you got a couple fingers holding this a minute because I want you to be able to turn back and forth. First Corinthians chapter three, and let's look in verse number eleven. <clears throat> Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth. And he makes this statement as we get to verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid that is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's what? what is, what's said there? Every man's what? Work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be, real, be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, back in Revelation chapter 3 to the church at Laodicea, he's telling the folks, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. The church at Laodicea did good, but the problem is their good works were had the wrong motivation. They've had the wrong sort they, they, were, they were certainly a fluent church. They were a wealthy church. They had need of nothing, the Bible says, or at least they perceived that. And God tells them, listen, you can't just have uh, just, just works. You've got to have works that are works that will be tried by fire. He says, I want you to buy of me gold that is tried in the fire. Make sure that the works that you're producing are works that are not going to burn like wood, hay, and stubble. Notice he goes on to say this, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. Take your Bibles once again, if you will, turn to James chapter number 1, just back a few uh, books. James chapter number 1, and look in verse number 27. James chapter 1, and verse number 27. James writes this, pure religion... And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, which, which is what we normally focus on. When we talk about true religion, pure religion, and undefiled, we usually talk about taking care of the widows and the orphans. But notice what else it does say about this. Pure religion and undefiled religion is this, not only just to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, but it also says, and to keep himself what? unspotted from the world. Can I tell you this? Living a life of purity and holiness is part of living pure and the right kind of religion in our lives. It is part of the Christian life. 
it is part and parcel with this, with it. It's not one, we're living in days where people say it does not matter how you live. Absolutely it matters how we live. Because we are to remain unspotted by the world. We've been given a, a robe of the Lord Jesus Christ that is a righteous robe, and we're to keep it unspotted by, from, from the things of this world. Look with me also, if you will, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 15, if you will. Revelation 15. And let's look in verse number 6. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues, clothed in, notice this, pure and white linen. Are, are the, the, these, these, these robes that are to be found in heaven, now of course it's speaking here of angels in this particular case, but the robes that are in heaven, they're to be pure, they're to be white, they're not to be spotted from the world. And so again, he's telling the church at Laodicea, he says, you've got the wrong focus. He says, you think that you're doing well. You think you're affluent. You think that you have need of nothing. He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire, dealing with their works. He says, I want you to make sure that you have a raiment that is unspotted from the world. A white raiment, not a, a raiment that has been uh, contaminated, not a raiment that has been uh, violated. And, and that speaks of their purity of life. The idea of living a life that is holy and is a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18, and this is the point I want you to get from all of this. And he says this, And anoint thine eyes with eye salve. Well, that's a peculiar statement. I mean, we can understand uh, to buy gold tried in the fire. There's reference to that in Scripture. We can understand having a white garment unspotted from the world. That's found in Scripture. What in the world is eye salve? To have eye salve that... Well, the way we understand this is the ISAV is that which helps us to see clearly. Not just to see, but to see clearly. We could probably word it this way and be accurate. I think we could. That we could see with the right focus. That everything would be brought into the focus that we should have. How in the world do we do this? When we're speaking of applying ISAB to our eyes that we can see and have the right focus on the right things, how in the world do we accomplish this? Well, let's look at some passages here. We can go ahead and let Revelation go. We won't be back here. But let's look in Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4. Actually, I want to take you to another place first. Stay in Luke 4. We're going to be right back there. But let's go to Psalm 119 first. I want to take you to this one first and lay this groundwork, and then we'll go to Luke 4. Psalm 119, and uh, let's look in verse number 15. Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in the middle of your Bible. And verse number 15. The psalmist writes this, The voice of rejoicing... I'm sorry, I get the right chapter here. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word... Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Notice this, out of thy what? Law. What is it that the psalmist says is going to help him have his eyes opened? In verse number, uh, verse number 11, he speaks about keeping his word. In verse number 18, he says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The idea being that as we come to God's Word, our eyes are opened. Look with me in 1 Corinthians now. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4. That's where we were at. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter number 4 and verse number 18. Luke chapter 4, verse number 18. Jesus is speaking here and He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the what? Gospel to the poor. So this is the key to everything he's going to say here. He has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What heals the brokenhearted? The gospel. All right? To preach deliverance to the captives. What brings deliverance to the captives? The gospel. And recovering of sight to the blind. What causes those that are blind to have recovery of their sight? The gospel. 
If I'm going to have my eyes anointed with ISAB that I may see, that I can focus clearly, that I can understand these things correctly, then I've got to be able to come to, the God, to God's Word and learn Scripture. Now look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and we're going to kind of, kind of draw the net here on this for a minute and help us understand the idea and the importance of having a right focus. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And again, I want to make sure that we're, we're following what the Bible teaches on this subject, not just my thought or my opinion on it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14, the Bible says, But the natural man, now when we see that, that's referring to a man who has not trusted Christ as his Savior. This is an unsafe person. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the what? The Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. Before we were saved, we would read Scripture, and there was some of it we could understand, but there was a lot of it we couldn't quite grasp. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Because the Bible says they are spiritually discerned. And an unsaved man can't understand a lot of the Scriptures. Their eyes, if you will, are blurred. They're not able to see clearly. Only when an event happens in the life of a man can we come to Scripture and say, there is a work now that's going on of clearing my vision as I come to God's Word, and that is the work that the Holy Spirit does in us as we come to His Word. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And let's look in verse number 12. Paul writes this, he says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, and the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in what? In Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, speaking here of the heart, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be what? Taken away. What is there that happens when we turn to the Lord? The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And the veil is taken away. We begin to understand there is, there is an importance that is placed here, I believe, in reading the Bible and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is crucial to having a right focus. I've known Christians that have trusted Christ as their Savior that do not spend time reading their Bible. They do not spend time walking with the Lord. They got saved one day, they put that in their back pocket, and they went on living life. And they go through trials, and they come to me, and oftentimes they're like, Pastor, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. I can't see clearly. My focus is in the wrong place. Now, all of that was foundational. That was setting the stage to come back now to Lamentation 3. Keeping all of this in mind, let's look at Lamentation 3 now in light of this. In Lamentations 3, <clears throat> the first 18 verses, we have seen Jeremiah lay out the problem. His focus is on the circumstances that are taking place. And notice what he says as we get to verse number 19. Verse number 19, what is the very first word that's given here? What is it? Remembering. Okay, I want us to keep that in mind because we're going to look at two things that he remembers. In verse 19, it says, Remembering mine affliction and my, what? Misery. He says, When I remember this, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness of it, the fact that I am in despair, my heart is crushed to the point of hopelessness. He says, When I recall of this, and in verse number 20, he says, My soul hath them in remembrance and is humbled in me. His heart was cast down because of it. 
As he remembered the affliction, his heart was cast down. It was humbled, the Bible says here. But then I want you to notice verse 21. He says, this I, what, recall. Now, that's not the word remembered, but when you recall something, that means you remember it, doesn't it? So we can, it, it's, it's the same idea here. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I what? Oh, wait a minute. When he remembered the affliction, it humbled his heart. But when he remembered this, he had hope. Now let's look what it was that he remembered in verse 21, what they recalled in verse 21. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions, what? Fail not. Can I help you with something? In verse 19, Jeremiah says, when I remember... The, the burden, the, the bitterness of what I'm going through. My heart is humble. But when I remember that God's mercies and His compassions are renewed every day, it gives me hope. It causes my attitude to change. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, and as he remembers the affliction of his people and as he remembers what God's judgment is upon them, his heart is broken and contrite and there's a, there's a despair there and there's a hopelessness. But he's not utterly in despair and he is not utterly hopeless because he remembers something else. He shifts his focus, if you will, from the things that are, that are the, the problem and he remembers some things about his God. Look what it says here in verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Isn't that a wonderful statement about God? I don't know about you, but I get excited when I read stuff like that. They are new, notice this, every morning. Great is thy what? Faithfulness. I remember God's God's faithfulness. And though my heart is humbled by what I'm going through, It is lifted up, and I have hope, because I know great is His faithfulness. Now notice what he says here. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. That's a peculiar phrase, isn't it? I spent some time this week trying to to put into words, what is the expression, the Lord is my portion? The word portion is used a number of times in the Old Testament, and and oftentimes, it is referred to as, uh, in, in, in a non-spiritual way, it refers to as two things. Uh, the, uh, the firstborn of those that were, uh, the male firstborn of each family, was to receive what was called a birthright. The birthright was the, uh, of the authority of the family. When the, when the patriarch of the family passed away, then the authority of leading the family was passed on to the eldest firstborn son. And then there was what was called the blessing. If you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau sold his birthright, and later on he was tricked out of his blessing, wasn't he? And and the blessing was when, uh, it it was a lot like a last will and testament, it was when uh, the the, the patriarch of the family would give away uh, some of his fortune and divide it up between his kids. And he would also give, pronounce a, a prophetic prophecy of, of blessing upon his, his offspring. And, then, and the one that was the firstborn would get a double portion of what everybody else got. And so when we find this, we would look at the portion. And I, I think we could use the phrase to help us understand it better. Uh, it dealt with an inheritance that you got that, that included both the birthright and the blessing. It was a portion of uh, each child received a specific amount of it. There are times in Scripture the Bible speaks of double portions and how there are sometimes more portions. Now, let's look at this for a minute. As uh, Jeremiah says this, the Lord is my portion. I, I, I get part of what He is and who He is and His blessings, His authority, His, 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 uh, uh, His resources... I get a portion of that along with other people who have their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes when you think of that, let's say, let's say that there's um, maybe 100,000 people. Let's just use that number. 
that have trusted Christ as their Savior in this generation. And each of us get a portion of God. I'll be real frank with you. If my three kids felt like they were in competition with 150,000 other kids for my portion when I die, they're going to look at that and say, I'm going to get like a half of a cent, if that. Because there's a limit to my resources, isn't there? But when we think of God being our portion, He is limitless. When Jeremiah speaks of the fact that God is His portion, he speaks to this issue, that in every point, God is sufficient for anything that I go through. He's not limiting by saying God is my portion. He's broadening it and saying there is no limit to it. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Notice what he says, therefore will I what? Hope in Him. We find a, a, a remembrance of the affliction and a humbling. We find the remembrance of God and who He is and a hope. There's a, there's a distinct difference here. Are we seeing the difference? He goes on to say, The Lord is good unto them that wait on Him, wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be that there may be hope. There are two types of remembering that take place when we go through trials. There's a remembering of the, the problems, the burdens, the circumstances. And every time we put our focus in that aspect, our hearts are humbled. And our attitude is not what it should be. That's when we come to the place where we say, God, I have served You. I have given up all of this in my life for You. And this is how you repay me? You ever think of the arrogance of that kind of an attitude? As if God owes us anything. Do we feel that we only get God's blessings because of our merit? Because I have earned it with God? Or do we pray as the psalmist, deal bountifully with me, O Lord? In other words, out of your bounty, out of your mercy, not on my merit. It's amazing to me how we can put our faith in God for salvation and make the claim, it's not by my works, because my works do not earn me anything. And we can have that matter settled in our hearts and then turn right around and when the valleys come say, God, I don't deserve this. Are we not doing the same thing as work salvation? Are we not saying, Lord, I have earned this right to be treated differently than this? If we focus on the problem, our attitude is going to be wrong. But when we focus on Him, notice what it says here. His mercies are new every day. Great is His faithfulness. My portion is the Lord. Because of these things, Jeremiah says, I'll hope in Him. I have the right kind of attitude. I may sorrow, but it is a sorrow that is not like others which have no hope. I may shed some tears, but they're not tears of hopelessness and despair. There are three things that Jeremiah gives here, and I want you to look at them, and this is the message. After all of that, by way of introduction... It was important that we laid the groundwork so that we could understand what it is that Jeremiah tells us we need to do in order to have a right attitude. There are three things that he gives us here in these Scriptures. Number one is found in verse number 25. The Lord is good unto them that what? Wait for Him. Wait for Him. There is a required patience. And that is one of the hardest things to do when you're going through the valley. When you're in the affliction, 
that is one of the hardest things to do. Because we want it, we want it solved now. We're hurting. We're going through it, and I want it solved right now. I want you to think about something for a minute. God brings judgment to Judah. For 40 years previous to this, Jeremiah warns them, you need to repent or God's going to bring judgment. If you don't change, God's going to bring judgment. For 40 years he does this. It's not like the nation of Judah did not know this. They knew it. And they still rejected it. And God brings them into captivity. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah knows that this is a prolonged captivity. In fact, at some point, he knows it's going to be 70 years of it. And yet, he has hope in the Lord. Because he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. And while I'm going through the valley now, I know that he is faithful. I know that his mercies and his compassions are renewed every morning. I know that he is great in his faithfulness and his promises to me. So I will be patient in tribulation. Jeremiah said, wait. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him. Where we get bitter and turn and get angry at God is when He doesn't solve it when we want Him to. When it becomes prolonged and we say, God, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. I had someone come to me just about eight months ago, nine months ago, broken. And I know the issue. They said, Pastor, will you pray? And I said, yes, I will. And we prayed. And we prayed some more. And we prayed some more. And the outcome did not change. And I'm broken hearted that the outcome didn't change because it, it's something that was a very sad situation. But what breaks my heart more than that is how bitter this person became. And the comment was made, I've prayed, Pastor. I did all that God asked me to do. I prayed. And it didn't change. And they turned from God. And they got angry at God. And they got bitter at God. And they got resentful at God. To this day, they won't even hardly let me talk to them about the things of the Lord anymore. And I look at that and I think, here's someone who was not willing to wait for the Lord. To be patient, to hold on to the fact that great is His faithfulness. He may not deliver me today, but He will deliver. My hope is in the Lord. He, he may not deliver me today. He may not remove it today. But there will come a day. Jeremiah is martyred later in life. You say, well, Jeremiah never recognized the deliverance of God. Oh, yes, he did. Because whether in this life or in the one to come, God brings deliverance. He's always faithful. We need to learn to wait for the Lord. That's an easy concept to understand. It's a very difficult one to live. To have patience in tribulation. To have confidence so much in God's mercies and compassions, His loving kindness, His faithfulness. To have so much faith in those things that we're willing to endure however long the persecution may last. However long the affliction may last, we always have hope in Him. Because we are so convinced of it. The second thing, in order for us to have a right attitude, he also gives in that same verse. 
It is good that a man should hope and quietly wait. I'm sorry, in the next verse. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him to the soul that, notice this, that what? Seeketh Him. That seeketh Him. Do we seek after the Lord? The psalmist wrote this in the, in the Psalms. He says, as the heart... And he's not speaking of the thing that pumps blood in our chest. But it is spelled H-A-R-T. And it's the same word that we use for deer. Alright? The psalmist says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks. In other words, when that deer gets thirsty, and it has that longing, and it has to get to the water, and it has to drink. It says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so longeth my soul after thee, O Lord. In Psalm 119, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And he says, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And then he makes this statement, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. How do we seek the Lord with all of our heart? We come to Scripture. And we come to Scripture not in an act of duty, that I must read X number of pages or certain number of verses. But we come to a book that tells us about our God. And we say, I want to learn about Him. I want to know Him. I, I want to find out what this thing can tell me about Him. And I want to see Him in this book. I mean, I want to know everything there is to know about Him. I want, to, I want to learn everything there is to learn about Him. You say, well, Pastor, you're never going to do that in your entirety of your life because He is so, so great and so infinite. We've talked of those things. But it ought to be the desire of my heart to seek after Him. The psalmist said, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. Have a love and a compassion and a desire, a drive in our hearts. I believe that God is faithful. I believe that He is merciful. I believe His compassions are renewed every day. I believe great is His faithfulness. But as much as I know and believe those things, I long to know more about Him. And I begin to seek for Him. And instead of looking at the valley, I look for the God walking through the valley with me. I look for Him in the midst of the fire. I want to see Him. I want to find Him. I want to know where He's he's at. I want to see Him in His Word. I want to learn all there is to learn about Him. The Bible says in verse 25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. The Bible says it is good that a man should hope, uh, both hope and quietly wait for the salvation. The third thing we have to do, we must wait on Him. We must seek Him. The most important of all of them, we have to remember who He is. You see, if, if Jeremiah did not recall these things, he would have no hope. In fact, he he tells us where his heart was before he recalled these things. He said, my heart was humbled. There was a hopelessness. There was a despair. There was a contriteness. There was a brokenness. But in verse number 21, he says, This I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope. I'm, I have had the experience personally going through the time of decision. Saying, God, I'm done with everything. I'm done with it. Or saying, Lord, I've got to have you. I am so grateful. 
I'm so grateful that He is long-suffering to wait on us to make that choice. To say, Lord, it's so bad that if I'm going to make it through, I've got to have You. Can I encourage you? Don't get the wrong attitude. Don't get to the place where your focus is such that all you have is despair and hopelessness. Don't get angry at God. Don't get bitter at Him. Because there's two things I know for certain. God is always good. And God is always right. And while I may go through valleys that are of my own choosing, and while I may go through valleys that perhaps even others in my life have created, God is still good. And He is still right. And I can recall those things. I can focus on His mercies. I can focus on His compassion. I can focus on great is Thy faithfulness. I cannot express enough. If I had, if I had opportunity, time would fail for me to express enough how many times in my life that those words, great is thy faithfulness, have sustained me through trials. If we were to go around the room, I know that there would be many tears shed and many testimonies given of folks saying that when I was in the worst of the worst, I remembered not the problem, not the circumstance. I remembered Him. Great was His faithfulness. Great were His compassions. Great were His mercies. And it brought me through. We're living in days where the truth of the matter is the sorrows may not be over yet. There may come more times that we're in the valley. We get to the point of utter despair, humanly speaking. The importance of having the right attitude is going to depend upon where our focus is. Am I remembering all the burdens Am I remembering all of the things that are burdening my heart? The afflictions? The trial? Or do I remember the faithfulness of my God? I want to encourage your hearts today. I don't know who needs a message like this today. I really don't. It's kind of an odd message for a Sunday morning. But whether you've needed it in the past or whether there's coming a time where you will need it, I promise you this, you will need it at some point. I've watched too many faithful men and women of God over the years that have gotten bitter and quit. They've left. They've said, I want no more. May God help us to have a right attitude, to have a right focus on Him. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. It's not really a message of salvation. I I would say this, if you're here today and you're not saved, I want you to know that God sure loves you. And while because of our sinful nature we're destined to, to pay for that by going to hell, dying and going to hell, God has made a way for us to escape that. He loved you so much He gave His Son to die on a cross in your place and pay that penalty.